Good morning. We are continuing in our uh, series of the book of Ruth, and today we are in chapter 3. So if you want to follow along in your Bibles or in your apps or on the screen behind me, we're going to be reading chapter 3 of the book of Ruth. It says, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he, has, when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over and beheld a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant for you are a redeemer. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good. Let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it out, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. And then and she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me. And he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. The very words of God. Good morning, Renewal. Let's try it again. Good morning, Renewal. How you guys doing? Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you're new to Renewal, I want to say welcome to you. Thank you for being here on this Labor Day weekend. My name is Derek Puckett. I am the lead pastor here at Renewal Church of Chicago. I want to thank you guys for visiting with us if you're new. And thank you for joining us on this Sunday. Got a couple announcements before we get into our text today. Uh, first one, group sign-ups work, wait, they, they happen today, okay? Groups are signing up today. We're going to talk about that a little later. Yes, I got one clap. So I'm talking about community today. So I hope all of y'all jump in the groups, okay? My desire for our church is that everyone in here would exist in community with one another and be in a group where we're able to pour our life out on each other as well as kind of get under the covers and get in the mess with one another and really live life with one another. Well, what does that really look like? We say we're multi-ethnic, but sometimes when you get that multi-ethnic rub when somebody that's black or white or Hispanic has done something different than you, you're like, wait a second here. How do you deal with that? You only figure out how to do that within community. And Jesus calls us to be in community as he exists in community. Amen? So sign up for groups. You go online. You can do that on our website today. Last announcement before we get in our text. I told you guys last week, I hope you already been polishing up your dancing shoes. Y'all got them ready? You got them ready? What date is it? The 15th of September. I need to see everybody out dressed in press, ready to go, because we're going to have our fourth anniversary party. We're going to have a dance party. So I need to see y'all, you know, doing your, all of that. I need, you see, I need to see you out dancing, all right? I want to see y'all at the party from 7 to 10 at Concord 55. We're going to celebrate. I'm going to say this again. Christians don't celebrate enough. 
when good things happen in their life, we just keep going and going and going. We don't celebrate. So we want to celebrate what God has done in our church after four years, all right? So 7 to 10 at Concord 55 on the 15th. And then on September 16th, we're having an anniversary service. I didn't say services, okay? Service at 10 a.m. We're having one service. How many? One service at 10 a.m. That means everybody come in here. We fill this place up, and let's really celebrate together. My, my friend is coming to preach to us from San Francisco. He's going to preach the white off the walls. Y'all don't want to miss this. Came from the church that I was in in Memphis. It's going to be an awesome Sunday. We're going to worship. We're going to hear the preach word, and we're going to thank God for all he's done here over the past four years. Amen? So the 15th and 16th, I need to see all of y'all here. Bring your family and friends. It's going to be a good time of fellowship and celebration. Amen? Well, today we're going to be in Ruth chapter 3. You've already heard the word read today, so we're going to preach and we're going to walk through the topic that I believe the Lord has put on my heart, this one that, of the blessing of community. Everybody say the blessing of community. That's where I want to preach from this morning, the blessing of community. Before we go any further, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning, God. I ask for you to fill this place as we just sang that song by... I also ask, God, that you fill my heart and my body with your spirit so that folks will hear a word from you. Decrease me, Lord, so that you may increase in this place. Father, have your way. We pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus and everyone said together, amen, amen. Well, in World War II, the motorcycle became pretty popular. Anybody like motorcycles? I love them. I like motorcycles. It, the motorcycle became pretty popular because it allowed you to get in and out of places very quickly, pretty stealthily. You could come in, you can do what you needed to do, and then you can go back out. And BMW took note of this. They knew that this was a, a way to get in and out of places, so they created a war motorcycle called the R75. R75. This motorcycle, you've probably seen something like it. It's the motorcycle with the sidecar on the side. Y'all seen those riding down the street before? You've seen that motorcycle with the sidecar. Someone that loves motorcycles, I kind of hate those things. Because it, I mean, I used to have this motor, motorcycle. It had chrome rims. It was sitting low. It was, man, I used to do wheelies, all it. It, had, it, was, it was nice. I called it Bumblebee. That was my, I loved it until I got married. My wife was like, nah, get rid of that boy. <laughs> I, I don't need a dead husband. So I got rid of my motorcycle. But when I looked at this and I'm researching it, I'm like, man, I don't like this thing. But because it's, it's slower, it's, it's not easy to maneuver like the other motorcycle. You can't really use it and get in and as quick as you want and out of places as quick as you want. It, it's just not simply the same thing. But as I studied it a little more, and I looked at why BMW would make this, when you look at the R75, it's got this sidecar and it became of good use to the German army because although it moved a little slower, it wasn't as easy to maneuver around. You could sit two people on it, sometimes three. Now following with this, the R75 was equipped most of the time with at least two machine guns on the sidecar. So you had more than one shooter, which meant that they were a little more efficient when they were going into battle. Follow me, you, you had at least two guys that's Four eyes, that's four arms, right? I'm, I'm still counting right, right? Two, maybe three guns. And although they moved slower, they got more done together. They were simply in the thick of things together, held together by an attached sidecar. They were not alone. You see, family, what I'm really trying to get at today is that it's simple. Two is better than one. Two is better than one. Friends, hear me, having someone by your side with you in the thick of things is almost always better than you being by yourself. There's a benefit. There's a value to having community. There's a blessing to having community. We are healthier when we're existing in community more than we are when we're by ourselves. This Christian life this life period was not meant for us to live on our own. It wasn't. We're communal beings. We're designed in the image of a communal triune God who exists in community, which means that we will always desire for some sort of community. 
And for the Christian, there's sisters and brothers that exist in this community that are fighting the same good fight as you, trying to glorify and to honor the Lord with all that they have. So that means that you're not by yourself, but you exist in this community where that doesn't mean that problems won't keep coming, trials won't keep happening, tribulations will keep coming your way, but I guarantee you, you'll be much healthier than being by yourself. See, we're going to see that in our text today when, with Ruth and Naomi, because the tables turn quite a bit in the story where now Naomi is the one encouraging Ruth. I don't know if you noticed it. It's a little different today. She's encouraging Ruth, and she's giving her guidance. Today, again, I, I said I want to talk about the blessing of community. And the reason why I want to talk about this is because I really believe it's become a devalued thing in our society. We devalue community because Everything's geared around us. We got our phones, we got our iPads, we got microwave ovens, we got all these things that's geared to what we want, when we want it, how we want it. It's this individualized culture, this culture of me that we live in where community is not valued. Everything is personalized, which means that when things happen in our lives, we become very isolated or insulated, whether that's good or bad, and don't tell anything of anybody about it. It's all on our shoulders. I got this. I don't need anybody. We devalue community. Friends, community has simply become devalued. And the thing about it is that the Christian walk is that most of our, in, in the Christian walk, most of our failures, most of our temptations, most of our problems, they really mess with us when we're by ourselves. You see, it's in those dark places. Some of y'all were there last night. In those dark places where nobody's around you that you get in trouble, that you have problems. It's, it's when you're not existing in community, when you, when you get into those problems. Some of y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. Hear me again. God the Father. Jesus the Son and the Holy Spirit exist in community in the Trinity. And if God himself exists in, in community and we, all of us, are, are created in his image of the triune God, then that means that there will always, always be this sense of emptiness that, that exists inside of us without community. Friends, hear me. We need community. We need community. So today we're going to look at this text and we're going to look at the relationship between Naomi and Ruth. We're going to see how community should push us towards Jesus. It should push us towards Jesus. So, I, and I want to ask you this question. This is what I want you guys to ponder as we walk through the text today. Do I have true community? Do I have true community? I don't mean the facade and the Facebook friends and Instagram people you have never met. I mean, do you really have true community? Today I have two points. Number one, community provides help. Community provides help. And number two, community pushes us to a redemptive place. Community pushes us to a redemptive place. Now, to give you all a bit of insight into the book of Ruth to help set up our passage today, Ruth is a Moabite woman. woman. She, she's a woman from a different tribe. She's a known enemy of the Israelites. They, they, they worship a different God. She's an immigrant in a foreign country. Now hear me, as we've been walking through this book, you all have probably noticed that Ruth, being an immigrant, accepted in a land that is not her own, is very prevalent, is a very prevalent message in today's society. You may have noticed that walking through this text. But she's noticed, she's pursued, she's accepted, she's protected, she's provided for, she's not made to go back to Moab. Don't miss it. And without getting into too much detail, but if, if one were to look at the whole of the Bible, you would see that this isn't a message that I made up. This is God's heart throughout the Bible. He sets a precedence around his will and his heart for the alien, the widow, and the poor. There's over 2,300 verses in the Bible that are geared specifically to this subject alone. He simply cares for the downtrodden, the foreigner, and the outcast, and the Christian, the believer, should too. We're called to do the same. So side note here to the text, y'all, hear me with this. Hear me. And, and, and I'm not going to get into too much detail to this, but, but, but hear me. I struggle with folks that say that I'm a hardcore believer, I'm a hardcore Christian, when their hearts don't ache when they see families separated from one another. See, see I struggle with the person 
that, that's okay when people are treated less than because of the color of their skin or because they're from someplace else. See, I struggle with the person who says I'm a believer, but it's okay with people being separated from their family, sent back to another place when they came here for a better life. Now hear me. I'm a little passionate about this because this is happening amongst the members of our church right now. There are family members of the people in our church that are getting sent back home right now. So you got to excuse me if I'm a little passionate about this. This is happening in our community. And see, the thing about this is that I'm not the only one that's passionate about this. I just explained in the scripture that this isn't just my heart. This is God's heart. This is in the Bible. It's not my words. These are his words. And truth be told, this is essentially what's happening right here in the text today. In the beginning of the book, follow along with me. Don't miss it in case you missed it in the last few weeks. Ruth loses her husband, Malon. She loses her father-in-law, Elimelech. Then she loses her brother-in-law, Chilion. You keep on going, Orpah goes back home to where she's from because Naomi's like, going back home, but Ruth sticks and stays. Now her and Naomi are in this deep, dark place where they have nothing but hopelessness around them. They're left in this place of emptiness. So what do they do? They head back to Bethlehem. They go to a foreign land to Ruth because they're searching for something better. Chapter 2, keep following, Ruth begins to glean from the, from the fields around them. She laces up her bootstraps as an immigrant, puts the, puts the family on her back, goes out, and she gets it done. She gets it done. She, she's a woman of character who's faithful. She's strong. She's submissive to authority and trust in her God. And then while gleaning, here it is, don't miss it, Ruth and Boaz, they meet one another for the first time. And we not only get introduced to this woman of character and Ruth, but we also get introduced to this, this man among men. His name is Boaz. Now watch this. Boaz, the man in the land, he provides for Ruth. He provides for Naomi, not because he has to, but because he chooses to. He could have easily been the ruler of the land, said, get off my land, go back to where you are from. I don't have to give you nothing. But he goes out of his way, and he shows us a type of Christ. I've talked about this in the past few weeks. He is a type of Christ. So what he's really doing is showing us what Jesus does on our behalf. He points us to Jesus. He is a type of Christ here in the text. He goes out of his way when he doesn't have to. And see, if you didn't catch it there, one of God's greatest acts towards humankind was sending his son, Jesus Christ, to come down here and die for the sins of foreigners, people that are not like him, enemies at that, because we have nothing in common with Jesus, except we're created in the image of God, but we're sinful, he's perfect in all his ways. Look, look here, don't, don't miss this, we're sojourners in his created land, living off of his resources. He was perfect in all his ways. He didn't have to do anything, but he goes out of his way. Family, don't miss this. The central message of the gospel is Jesus crossing lines and dying and saving people that are unlike him. That's the central message. Y'all just missed your amen. Y'all, this book right here, I told you it's like a Sour Patch Kid. It's rich with wisdom. It's rich with wisdom for today's society. It speaks to us today. Amen? This leads us to where we are in our text today. Starting in verse 1, we see the word then, which indicate, indicates to us that this is an, a direct correlation or a relation to the verse at the end of chapter 2, where it says that Ruth kept close to the woman or the women of Boaz. She's gleaning until the end of the wheat and the barley harvest, and she's staying with Naomi. That's in the end of chapter 2. Now, this verse is significant to verse 1 in chapter 3 at the beginning of our text because by this time, Naomi has watched Ruth serve her day in and day out at least two months, not just through the barley harvest, but also through the wheat harvest. She's watched her serve. She's watched her trust in God. She's watched her provide. She's watched her be obedient. Naomi's seen all of this. She's seen Ruth position herself in a place to be exalted or blessed by God by trusting in him and doing what she is supposed to do. No complaining. She's just doing what she needs to do. And now because of this, look at what Naomi says in verse 1 and 2. This, look at what she says to her. She says, my daughter, 
Should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were with? I mean, now, now, pay attention to these words. Naomi sees Ruth struggling. She sees her day in and day out. And I can only imagine what Ruth looks like at this point, how she feels, how tired she actually is. I mean, could you imagine? I mean, the text doesn't say anything about her complaining. She doesn't say anything. Day in and day out, she's just working. Could you imagine gleaning every day for two months, not just going out to the fields to get the, the, the right harvest. She's coming out after everybody else, getting the leftovers, and she's still grieving. She, she's probably tired. She's grieving. Y'all remember, she lost her husband. It, it's, we forget that. There, there's no time for hanging out putting your nice clothes on, putting your dress on, getting your nails done, your, your toenails done. There ain't no pedicures and manicures. She's not hanging out at the neighborhood party stable. You know, they didn't have clubs back then. No, no, she's working. She's making it happen. Ruth has to be tired. She's probably done at her wit's end. She's worked every day, provided for herself, and her mother-in-law, she's simply been the woman of character we talked about last week in our passage. But now, as you look at the passage, the tie, it, it seems to turn a bit, and you have, you've got to love Naomi in this text. I love looking at Naomi and her character. She, she sees her daughter-in-law, finally. She's been eating enough barley. She's got her strength back a little bit. She sees, she sees her daughter-in-law, and she says, should I not seek rest for you? See, she's not saying you need to go to sleep. She's not saying I see your bags, it's time for you to get some rest. No, 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 that's not what she's saying. She, she's saying in an emphatic and encouraging way, baby, look, 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 be encouraged. Be, be encouraged, you, you, you shall have rest in a husband. See, if y'all remember from chapter 1, verse 9, she says these same words to her and Orpah. She says this, she said, the Lord grant that you may find rest each of you in the house of her husband. She says this when she's trying to send them away back home. But now she repeats it in a different way, and she's repeating it to Ruth. She's saying, look, you shall have rest in Boaz. You're you, you missing it. He shall be your husband. He shall redeem us both. He, he will provide for you and me. He will give us security and stability. Don't miss it, Ruth. But see, here's what we cannot miss. Although Ruth and Boaz, they've met each other, they've walked together, they've done life together, they've had contact with one another, don't miss it. It took somebody in direct community or around Ruth to actually point out the provision that was right in front of her face. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. Ruth, Ruth's not paying attention to this. She's just, she's just going through the motions. That's some of us sometimes. We miss the provision because we're just going through the motions. It took somebody around her to say, look, and this brings us to the first point in our text. Community provides help. Community provides help. How many of us know that there's a value in community? Everybody didn't raise their hands, so some of y'all don't know. That's why we're going today. There's a value in community. I mean, sometimes, y'all, it's not that somebody needs to call you out all the time. Sometimes, you could be doing all the right things. You could be just like Ruth, doing all the right things, trusting in God, being obedient, and still need someone else to help point out something that is right in front of you. Sometimes we just need some help. We need somebody to help lead us. We need help somebody, somebody to help see things that we cannot see, somebody to help hear the things that we cannot hear. Y'all ever been there before? You just miss something and somebody comes right along and like, there, that's it right there. I mean, maybe it was that relationship you, you know you shouldn't have been in. That guy, that gal, you, you know you shouldn't have been in that relationship with them. And then your friend comes along, and if it had not been for them saying, what you doing? Why are you, why you, why you why living again? What's up? Thought we were supposed to be honoring Jesus. If it had not been for that person, you'd still be in that place. Or, or maybe it's the other way around. Maybe you're married today only because one of your friends came and said, 
What you tripping off? Right? You're trying to get this in order, this in order. You got enough in order. She loves you. That's a man of character. What you waiting on? That's the only reason you're married today. Or maybe that's not it. Maybe you're about to get yourself in a financial bind and make this crazy financial decision. And if it had not been for your friend stepping up and saying, don't do that, you'd be up a creek. Friends, hear me. There is value in having community. Having community and people that encourage and lead us is vital to our growth. It's vital to living, period, but especially in our relationship with Jesus. Do you have that type of community in your life? Or better yet, here's the question, do you allow that type of community in your life? Are you vulnerable enough to let others speak into your life? See, that's, that's the issue. We, we, we're so individualized. We got it. I don't need help. That we don't, we're not vulnerable. And we're lonely. And it's not because people don't want to be in our lives. It's because we don't let people in. Naomi continues in the text. She asked a rhetorical question. She says, is Boaz not our relative? She knows the answer to this. She says, is Boaz not our relative whose young women you have been with? She's saying, look here, look here, my daughter. Look here, Ruth. Boaz is right there. He's our provision. He's the man for you. He's been providing for us. He's been protecting for us. He obviously cares for you. He keeps giving us food day in and day out. He's letting you glean from the field for two months. He's had you eat with him. He's had you stay by his women and protect you. Yo, men don't do that on, on, on accident. He obviously cares for you. Now it's time for us to show him that we really care for him too. Y'all see what's happening here? And don't get twisted. She's not just trying to hook her up. That's not what's happening here. I know some of y'all grandmoms and mamas like, girl, go on, go, go tell, show that man what's, no, that's not what's happening here. She says, wash and anoint yourself. Put your cloak on. Put your nice dress on. Get dressed up. You know, get yourself cleaned up and get, get smelling good, symbolizing now that your mourning is over, that you're worthy to be betrothed or married to somebody. She said, I can't have my daughter-in-law out here looking like who shot John and forgot to kill him. Literally looking like buckwheat, what we all up in your head. Smelly pits and that. No, we got to get you cleaned up, girlfriend. We got to get you looking good. This man is worthy. And then she says, you are too. See, Ruth needs to hear this. She says, you must go to where he will be. But don't interrupt him until he's done working. Let him relax. Wait until the right time. She says, lie at his feet and uncover his feet while he sleeps, which now, don't miss this, it symbolizes her dependence on him. And then she says, he will tell you what to do. Friends, all of a sudden, again, the tables, they turned a bit. And now you just don't see Ruth helping Naomi. You see Naomi helping Ruth. Naomi sees hope for both of them right in front of Ruth. She says, there it is, and she helps her see it. See, as I read this text, I looked at what Naomi was doing, and she's getting Ruth prepared. Yes, that's all happening, but it's much bigger than that. She is providing the help or the community that Ruth needs right now. She's being that person that she needs in her life. You see, in this chapter, she comes alongside Ruth and gives her the insight. She gives her the nudge towards the place that she needs to go. She gives her the nudge to be with her redeemer, to be with her place or the place where she will find provision. She's nudging her in the right direction. See, that's what true community does. It's not a friend you just gossip with. They, they push you to a redemptive place. They push you to where provision is. They push you towards your redeemer. And some commentators, when I was studying this, they look at this and they say that she's pushing her to do something indecent with Boaz. I don't believe that's the case at all. She's not pushing her to just go do something wrong with Boaz. Now, now I will say this, my single ladies in here, I don't need y'all to walk out of here and say, Pastor D preached a message, told me to go get my finest dress from David's bridal and I need to show up at the man of my dreams house, knock on his door, then lay at his feet. Don't do that. That's weird. I promise it will not work. 
it won't. There's something much bigger happening here in this text. Naomi's not sending her there so that she will sleep with Boaz. That's not what's happening right now. She's pushing her in the right direction. You can't miss it. Don't miss this. See, sometimes, family, we could be doing all the right things. We just need some help. She's saying, there it is. We just need some help. Here, here, I'm going to help y'all wake up a little bit. Touch your neighbor to the right and say, sometimes we need some help. Y'all go ahead and do this. This is an exercise. Then turn the other way and say, that's okay. See, sometimes we just need some help, and that's okay. We need community. Family, she's just pushing her in the obvious right direction that's right in front of her. Ruth didn't know Boaz was a possible redeemer in chapter 2. Naomi's the one that points that out. Ruth doesn't know this. She says, Boaz is one of our redeemers. And here she is giving her daughter-in-law the guidance and the direction to go to her redeemer. Friends, hear me. Hear me clearly. We all need people in our lives to help point out the sin in our lives. We all need people in our lives to help guide us, to comfort us, to push us to a healthy place, to push us towards Jesus. We need others to help us in a time of need. We need people who are are less impressed with us and more impressed with Jesus so they'll push us towards him. I think y'all might have missed that. We need people who are less impressed with us and more impressed with Jesus so they push us towards Jesus. So I know you're sitting there saying, okay, well, Pastor D, well, what, what does that look like? What's true community really look like? I see Naomi and Ruth, but what's that look like for me? Here, take this down, write it down, take a picture, whatever you need to do. There's three different types of people you need to have in your life, okay? This should be in your community. That doesn't mean you just got to have three, but you need to have three different types in your community. You need to have a Paul, you need to have a Barnabas, you need to have a Timothy. So you need to have a Paul who sees you, he's a little more mature or she's a little more mature in her walk. Biblically, you see Paul pouring out and pouring into people, mentoring them, discipling. He's sharing his life with them. They're a little higher you, higher than you. They don't have to necessarily be older than you. Jesus was younger than a lot of his disciples. They just know a little bit more than you. And they're sharing their life and they're pouring their life out on you. Then you need a Barnabas. You look biblically, you see in the scriptures, you see Barnabas is walking alongside Paul and and they're sharing life together. He keeps him accountable. They're kind of at the same level with each other. They're sharing tidbits of wisdom back and forth. They fight and bicker and do all those things, but they're, they're right there with one another. And then you need a Timothy. You need a Timothy a little lower than you, someone that you can pour your life into. Paul's doing that with Timothy, someone you can mentor, disciple, pour out into them. Let me ask you, do you have that in your community? Do you have that in your community? Family, hear me. We need community. We need that in our community. See, when I look at the text, Naomi, at this instant, she's the Paul for Ruth right now. She's challenging her. She's leading her. She's mentoring her, at least right here in this passage. Not throughout the whole book, but right now she is. Folks, do you have that Paul in your life that's encouraging you? that reminds you of Jesus, that pushes you to a better place, pushes you towards him. Because here's the thing, and I've said it before and I'll say it again, sometimes you could be doing all the right things. You could be, you could be as obedient as, 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 as the next person. You could be doing all the things right, trusting God, and you still need some help. Still not all right. This is what older, more mature saints in the faith or mentors or community does for us. They provide help. Look at the text. Nowhere in the text is Ruth complaining. She's not speaking ill against God at all. She's doing all the right things. She's doing everything right. She still has this posture of humility. She's submissive. She's trusting and she's obeying God, but she still needs some help. And Naomi provides just that. And then I love Ruth's response. I haven't talked about her response. I love how she responds to Naomi. She affirms to us that she's still a woman of character. Look at what she says in verse 5. She says, all that you say, I will do. No rebuttal. She's not complaining. 
She doesn't say, you, you told me to do something else. I've been doing all this. She doesn't say anything. She just listens and she goes. All that you say I would do. She's a woman of character here in this text. She listens. And see, see therein lies the problem, though. It's the problem. Because most of the time, the reason we don't have anyone pouring into us or we're not existing in community is because we're not at a place where we're humble enough to receive wisdom from other people. And if that's not it, we're too afraid to air out our mess in the midst of community because we don't want people to think, think ill of us. It, it, whichever one it is, they're both pride. You don't want people to know what's going on in your life or you think you got it. Lack of humility, no humility. I mean, you, too much humility. False humility. They're both pride. That's both prideful positions. Now listen to me, and I'm not just making this up. When Jesus calls his disciples, these guys, they, they, they're doing their thing. They're fishermen. Some of them have wives and, and families. They're doing what they need to do. When Jesus calls his disciples, they, they're inquiring about him. They're hungry. They want to know about him. They want to be in community with him. Jesus just says, come on and see. Come, come see. He doesn't have to persuade them to do anything. He doesn't have to tell them, listen to me, anything. They just drop everything and they go. They're hungry. They want this community. They want to be with him. Ruth could have kept on working and picking up grain by herself. Besides, Naomi hadn't done anything for her up to this point. She could have easily been like, man, I've been doing all the work. I don't have to listen to you. You've been over here moping and crying for two months. She doesn't say anything. She just stops for a moment, and she listens to her mother-in-law, does what she says. Y'all, she needed help. She needed help. Is that you this morning? Is that you? Have you been in a place where you feel like you've been doing all the right things, obedient, but you still feel like you need some help? Are you listening to the direction from other people in your community? Are you humble enough to listen to them? Are you being vulnerable enough to be in that community, that space? Hear me clearly, y'all. Some weights are too heavy for you to carry by yourself. It's like being at the gym. If you've ever been at the gym, I, I work out a bit, been at the gym, and, and you're, you're on that bench press, and you're in your last set. You're hitting those last three. You got three to go, and it's hard, and you're struggling. And, and, and if you don't have anybody by yourself, what's going to happen? It's going to fall on your chest. But if you got somebody there to help you, they can spot you and pick it up and put it back on and rack it for you. Y'all, some weights are too heavy for us to carry by ourselves. We need community. Community provides help. Naomi, she's simply pushing her in the text to be with her Redeemer. But she's not only pushing her to her Redeemer, but she pushes her to a place where redemption happens. Because here's the truth. Having the right people around you is not the solution. It's part of the solution, but it's not the solution. Which brings us to our second point. Community has to push us to a redemptive place. Community pushes us to a redemptive place. Don't miss this. Naomi doesn't tell Ruth to just go anywhere. You could easily miss this. She tells her to go to the threshing floor. Now, this is significant. She tells her to go to the threshing floor where Boaz is winnowing barley. Now, family, the threshing floor was a place where the reapers would take their harvest and, and they would set it on a hill where the wind would blow past them while they're up there. And they would crush the harvest. They would crush it with rocks and they would break it down. Then they would take their winnowing fork and they would throw it in the air when the wind goes, comes, gust comes by and, and the wheat, because it's heavier, the good stuff falls back to the ground and the chaff would float away with the wind. That's where her redeemer is. That's where Boaz is. He's at the threshing floor. Now don't miss this. Hear me. This is very significant. This is a significant place in scripture. John the Baptist refers to this in Matthew chapter 3 verses 11 through 12. He says this is where Jesus is. When he comes back, he's going to be 
at the threshing floor with his winnowing fork, and he's going to be tossing the chaff and the wheat up in the wind, and the chaff's going to float away, and the wheat's going to fall back down. Hence, the unbelievers will float away, and the believers will stay with Jesus. He's saying he's separating the chaff from the wheat. Here it is, the Redeemer, I Redeemer, Jesus Christ. That's where he dwells. Don't miss this. You see, what's happening in the text is that Naomi is saying, go to the place where judgment and redemption happens. Go to the threshing floor. That's where your Redeemer is. She pushes her to a place where he is and the place where redemption happens. This is not a coincidence. This may read a little funny where she's saying, go put your wedding dress on. But it's not an accident. Naomi's not getting Ruth all dolled up to go to the threshing floor to sleep with Boaz. She's going there because her Redeemer is there. Naomi's pushing her to be with her Redeemer. And I don't know about y'all, but I know when my Redeemer comes back, it says that I'm going to be dressed all in white. I'm going to be ready to see him. It's going to be the marriage of all time. She pushes her to the threshing floor. Now watch what happens. When she comes in contact with Boaz, I love this part. She's, she does what Naomi says. She goes there and she, she, she's there while Boaz is sleeping. She lays at his feet and Boaz wakes up and the text says he's startled. And he says, who are you? Now I'm going to tell you, if I woke up and saw someone laying at my feet, I probably would not say, who are you? Some of y'all didn't get that. You ever been asleep before and you land in your bed and you know, you, you mistakenly kind of pull the cover up a little bit over your feet and then the wind, the, the gust in the room, you just, whoo, get a little chilly and you wake up. Now imagine that happening and you wake up and you see somebody sleeping at the foot of your bed that was not there when you went to sleep. The text already told us that Boaz had a little bit too much to drink, y'all. That person's liable to get knocked out. Ain't no who are you. I'm startled. That's weird and that's scary. But Boaz, he doesn't do anything. Says, who are you? And she she quickly says, I'm Ruth. I'm your servant. Spread your wings over your servant for you are a redeemer. She says, I am your servant. Now, she's not saying I'm your slave. She's saying I'm your maidservant, which is significant because this was someone who had house privileges, who, who, was, who was able to have kids with him. She's saying, I'm your woman. This is who I am, Boaz. Then she says, spread your wings over me, which means protect me and provide for me. These are the same words that Boaz said to her in chapter 2, verse 12. But he was referring to the Lord, saying, the Lord do this for you. He didn't know that she was going to come back and ask for him to be that person. She says, you are a redeemer. You already been providing for me. You've been protecting me already. I'm here, Boaz. I want to be with you. Now, family, remember, Ruth is... She's been working over two months. I need you to visualize where she, is, where she is right now in the text. She's been working for over two months to provide for her mother-in-law and herself. She's probably tired. She's at the end of herself. She's probably flat out done. But she doesn't turn to other things to satisfy. She doesn't go anywhere else. No, with the help of Naomi, she turns to her Redeemer. Boaz even notes that she could have went somewhere else. Verse 10, she says, you could, have, you could have went to other men. You could have had more money, but you chose me. See, she chose what she needed, not what felt good or what looked good to her. She went to her Redeemer. She needed him. And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you walked in here this morning in a place where nothing else in your life is seeming to satisfy you. You feel like you just need more. Maybe you've come to the end of yourself and you're saying, I'm in a place where I need Jesus. Ruth in our text, she's going to Boaz because she knows that's where her redemption lies. She knows that's where her security, her safety, 
and simply a better life lies. Let me ask you, family, where is your security this morning? Where do you run to? I mean, when things get bad, where, where do you run? Is it your spouse? Is it your status? Is it food, money, or is it Jesus? Where do you run to? Family, it's easy to run to the things in the world or the things that we can define ourselves by or identify ourselves outside of him or the things that may seem to satisfy for a moment, may give us some temporary satisfaction. They may even satisfy us for a lifetime. But hear me, Jesus is the only one that will satisfy for all eternity. He's the only one. Ruth and Naomi, they know that not only is Boaz a good man, but he has been good to us. He's taking care of us. He's worthy. He can redeem us. And he can have the family name live on after us. This isn't about temporary satisfaction for them. It's much bigger than that. They need more than what they can see. They need more than temporary relief. They need to be redeemed. Ruth comes to Boaz and says, basically, this is all I have. This is who I am. It's my best dress. It's all I got for you. What you see is what you get. She makes this desperate move, making, I mean, risking her life, risking her reputation to come to Boaz. Women didn't go to the threshing floor unless they were prostitutes trying to get with the men after the harvest, but she doesn't care. She knows that's where my Redeemer is right now. I'm going to do what I have to do. I'm at my ends with, I got to get there. It doesn't matter what people think about me. Are you there this morning where you could care less what other people think about you? All you want and need in life is Jesus. You don't have anything left. You just need him. Family, as we get ready to close, this is it. I want, to, I want you to draw you, I want to draw your attention to something else in the text because I'm pretty sure Ruth did not expect what happens next. Boaz, she's come here, she's risked everything. Boaz encourages her first with words, probably because he knows the state that she's in. He knows the desperation here, and, but then he gives her the shocker. He says, I cannot redeem you now. I can't do it because there's a redeemer that comes before me, but I promise you, I will make sure that you're taken care of. He says these words and he sends her on her way with six measures of barley. Now, all that we've walked through, could you imagine what Ruth probably feels like right now when this happens? She, she's given everything up to help Naomi. She's risked her life now to come to her redeemer. I mean, could you imagine this? And now he doesn't give her what she came for. It, it, the result of what she wanted, it's not what she wanted. Her heart's probably sunk in her chest. She's maybe got some tears coming down her cheeks. She, she's probably saying, this is all I get. A promise from you? Some more barley? Can't I get a cow or something? She's been eating barley for weeks. And see, all jokes aside, friends, I love this, though, because I love what happens next in the text. Don't miss it. Watch this. It not only ends with Boaz giving her this promise, but as Ruth comes home, she probably walks in the door all moping and sad. She's, she's, she's not happy to be there. Tears rolling down her face. Naomi's, Naomi's there. She, how did you fare, my daughter? How, how, did, you, how did you fare? She, she's the one that's there to receive her when she comes back. Whether she's happy or sad, she's there. And her words to her, she said, look, look, look. Don't worry. Ruth, don't worry. He will not rest until we're taken care of. Don't worry. Don't miss these words here because it's easy to say she's just trying to hook her up. That's not what she's doing. She's encouraging her and she's saying, remember the promise of your Redeemer. Remember his words. Friends, hear me. Because that's some of us today. 
We've been obedient. We've been walking with Jesus. We've been, we've been living life the way we think we're supposed to be living. We've done all these things right, just like Ruth, and God hasn't answered us the way we think he should. He hasn't shown up in our lives the way we wanted him to. And we feel all alone because we feel like God has left us. We're in this place where we feel like we can't depend on anybody because we can't even depend on God himself. Hear me. God has not left you. He's not forgotten about you. It may be tough right now where you are, but he has not forgotten. Remember those words in Hebrews 13, 5, where he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Remember his words, Naomi says. But let me ask you, do you have a Naomi in your life? Because that, that, that's the point here. Ruth's able to keep going because she tells her to remember. Hold on to the words. Do you have someone who can remind you of what the Lord says, the truth he says about you in the text? Do you have community? Naomi says to Ruth, remember his words. Remember his words and he will keep his promise. Do you have that person that keeps pushing you to keep your eyes on Jesus? Family, there is a blessing and a gift in having community. Community provides help and it pushes us to a redemptive place. Hear me. Do not forsake it. Do you have community? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this morning. You're a good God. And God, we thank you that even in those places, just like we saw in the text, where we seem to be all alone, we seem like we're by ourselves. You never leave us nor forsake us. And God, I pray that someone will be reminded of that truth this morning. Maybe they're struggling, they came in there here feeling like they're all alone, <laughs> feeling like they have nowhere else to turn. God, I pray that you will remind them that they do and that you're all that they need. God, I thank you for a community like this one where we can bear each other's burdens, God. And we can come to you together, Lord Jesus, knowing that you'll never leave us, but you're with us. Father, I ask that you dwell here in this space this morning, especially as we get ready for communion, and we take the elements where we remember your sacrifice as we do so in community. God, you're a good God. We don't deserve the love that you give, but we're grateful. We thank you, Lord Jesus. And we pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus and everyone said together, amen.